Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and as always I'm joined by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. We recently took a break from our usual structure of podcasts to do our squad number special, but we are returning to our usual format, and today we'll be talking about all the latest uh, goings-on amongst Arsenal Football Club, and also previewing the start of the upcoming season. But before we do any of that, we are going to return to our quiz, where one of us reads out a piece of commentary with no context and no emotion and the other one has to try and guess what the goal is. So, Andre, would you like to go first? I certainly would. I certainly would. Um, Okay, you ready? I am ready. You're leading 3-2. That's not the commentary. Uh, Okay. He's got plenty to aim at like that. That is Thierry Henry at home to Manchester City in the 03-04 Invincible season. And David James was left flailing uh, as it arrowed into the top corner. Flail away. And it ended, I like doing this, an outstanding goal from Thierry Henry. And, and I think you can picture as that happens, him knee sliding towards the North Bank. A very evocative goal, that one, for me. It was, and it's a goal as well that because Nicholas Anelka was playing for Manchester City... Uh, towards the the latter years of Anelka's career, I kind of got over the fact that he that he left Arsenal in the way that he did. Uh, but when that game took place, I was still very much in the camp of I absolutely despise everything to do with Nicholas Anelka. So it it, it made it particularly sweet, and I believe uh, he got sent off towards the end with Ashley Cole, didn't he? He did, he did, and you're right. That really did cap. Um... A, a, a wonderful sort of uh, revenge mission, it felt like. You're quite right. The fact it was Henri as well, scoring in that manner. I think one of the reasons I like this goal so much is, and he, I actually think, I don't know, I think what makes me think of these and what, what sort of uh, encourages me to look at this commentary, I think it came up because it's not his normal finish. It, it arrowed in. It's just such a stunning goal and the way that ball moves. Uh, but a wet wet, wintry Highbury, and it was such an important goal. He scored so many important goals that season, obviously, it was such a special season. But that one, I think nearly every Arsenal fan can picture as well. Yeah, really, really sensational goal. And that was also a day that David Seaman got a, a guard of honour on his uh, return to the club. And I think he, he shortly after that, announced his retirement from uh, professional football at the end of that campaign. So it was a nice all-round all-round day and obviously to get the three points capped it off ball through to Perez by Edu used to Henri he's got plenty to aim at like that an astounding goal from Thierry Henri well the strike is just awesome it's the only one to describe but you and I right behind this and it is like an arrow it's like a tracer Unstoppable. Okay, so mine is not scored this season, has now. <laughs> uh, Vieira at Stamford Bridge. Correct, correct. Oh, that's, that through ball from Dennis. Oh my goodness. That compilation recently came out, didn't it, from 90s football on Twitter of his passes, but that goal hasn't scored this season. He has now. And that also uh, features one of my favourite noises, um, which only really happens for the away team at Stamford Bridge, which is they have one of the best ball-hitting goal noises of all, uh, as can be seen when Theo Walcott scores in the 5-3. It makes that wonderful noise the net makes. Um, it's great it's a sensational noise. And uh, I, I was going to talk about that uh, had you not brought it up anyway. So... <laughs> And what I love most about that goal, obviously the pass from Dennis Bergkamp, which if you were to pick the ball up and place it into the perfect position, you couldn't place it any better than he did with his foot. Mm -hmm. It's just absolutely incredible. And going back to that compilation that came up the other day, every single pass within that compilation is just absolutely beautiful. And it's, it's the sort of passes that most players might do that once every now and again. Bergkamp did that pretty much every game. He'd pull out a pass if not more than one pass of that calibre. And 
it basically means that Patrick Vieira has nothing to focus on except putting the ball in the back of the net. And the fact that that goal came after Patrick Vieira made the mistake in the opening seconds, uh, which gifted Chelsea the lead, um, showed the calibre of the man and of the player that he was able to brush that to one side and think, you know what, I need to make up for my mistake. And my oh my, did he make up for that mistake. Yeah, and a nice, uh, I have to say, perfect goal to take us into the future because, of course, the uh, scorer of the winner in that day, in that game, sorry, Edu. Scrappiest goal of all. It was. It was uh, I remember it was Neil Sullivan in goal for uh, Chelsea flapping at a Thierry Henry corner and, uh, and then he obviously rifled it in at the near post. But... Basically, that was another one of those moments where you knew that we were going to go on and win the league because we were just, every, every challenge that was put in front of us, we were finding a way of overcoming. And to go to Chelsea when they were in their buoyant mood under the, the recent ownership of Roman Abramovich really, really was a statement of intent from Arsenal. Uh, and what I loved about that as well was the the post-match huddle that Arsenal then became famed for with uh, Patrick Vieira's skipper. And I remember that really, really uh, specifically at Stamford Bridge that year. Again, we seem to be uh, reading each other's minds with this because I think yet again we've picked two goals from the same season, uh, which just, you know, sums up our, our similar football brains. But also, actually, it got me thinking about how much more fun it is uh, well, I say that, actually. I'm quite looking forward to talking about next season, to talk about that season, because there are so many parts to it that were so wonderful and are brilliant to reminisce about. Um, such a special time. But yeah, two, two great goals, two great goals, two wonderful bits of commentary, too. It's a matter just of achieving this lead, of sustaining it. Bergkamp, Vieira, not scored this season, has now. 1-1. A captain's contribution. Sign of a great player. They've absolutely carved them open, Chelsea. Okay, so moving on now, we are going to look at some of the recent news that has happened with with Arsenal Football Club. Uh, Most significantly, we'll start with the permanent arrival of Gabriel from Lille, which happened uh, last week. And... The first thing I want to say about it is I really, really enjoyed the way that Arsenal uh, announced the signing because it was one of those things that everyone knew was happening. We knew the transfer was going to be announced at some point. And Arsenal managed to find a really, really inventive and creative way of making that announcement with their their Facebook Live um, video. And it was obviously David Luiz and William having a conversation and then at some point they just decide to bring in someone else and it is Gabrielle who they bring in for a conversation. So I thought that was really, really clever, and really creative. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I can't believe I live in a world where I watch people get angry at an Arsenal administrative Twitter handle for not announcing deals fast enough. I don't really know what's happened to the world, but alas, that's the world we live in. And it is really hard to come up with something creative my actual biggest takeaway from that video, and I'm not exactly original in saying this, was just how David Louise was talked to the youngsters. I thought that really came across because you can picture him guiding this, you know, this youngster. It's not that young, he's 24, but you can picture him guiding him through games and what a player to learn from. And in my opinion, I have to say from the first game in lockdown where Louise got sent off and then the subsequent contract announcement, I am now so on board with that extra year extension. And I have to say, sometimes, you know, you have to hold your hands up and go, I was completely wrong. Um, As thousands of other Arsenal fans were, but it looks like keeping David Luiz around for another year looks like a a great thing to do, especially with the youngsters we've brought in. Yeah, and I'm in the same camp. that I, w- I was very, very vocal about the fact that I didn't understand why we were giving him uh, another contract. And I did feel it was a really good opportunity to move on a defender who we perceived as not being good enough. But he, since then, since he returned from the suspension that he got for that red card against Man City, he's been fairly good on the pitch. But I think we just keep seeing and hearing things from behind the scenes that sort of suggest that what he brings to the club is a lot more than just an experienced defender. 
and the way is with youngsters and I, I keep seeing uh, young players post pictures of them with him um, and being very, very praiseworthy of the advice that, that he gives them. So I think he's he's great to have around the club. I really do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I guess talking about the signing himself, so um, great set of teeth. That's always important, I think, in the centre-half. Um, no, I'm just... <laughs> I'm obviously joking. I mean, <laughs> I have to say, I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we try and analyse what kind of player he is. And I think, you know, other people will do better analysis than us uh, about sort of why we've got him and Pablo Marie. I think if we didn't have so many centre-halves, my, my feeling around all of this, and I know we'll go on to talk about outgoings, but the whole point of building a squad, especially in the modern era, is to have backups. And I found it so strange that people go, well, why did we get Pablo Marie in? Well, first of all, clearly our centre-halves are capable of having dips in form. We also might play a back three, but also guess what? They might get injured. And if Arteta really wants a left-footed centre-half, he needs a backup. Uh, and I found it really odd that people are going, well, it makes you question about the Marie deal. I think it makes me question the people that think that, who haven't watched Arsenal Football Club over the last 20 years, where injuries have plagued us. I'm delighted we've got backup. Look, we need to get rid of some centre-halves um, or at least, you know, churn it over. Um, but yeah, I found that really odd because also Pablo Marie is injured <laughs> as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a, a, a similar dialogue with someone on Twitter about the same thing because they said, well, I, well what a ridiculous signing the Pablo Marie deal was. And I commented and said, yes, but it's all well and good saying that, but it's it's obvious that we are trying to move on Socrates, Rob Holding arguably, uh, Mustafi long term. So you've already got three there that, that obviously Arsenal and Mikel Arteta don't fancy as long-term options. Kalasinac being another defender who has played that left-sided role before. And now we have two left-sided centre-backs who hopefully means that we don't have to see Kalasinac play there. And hopefully that means that Kieran Tierney can go out and play in the position that we signed him for. So I, I, I don't understand it. And I, I, I sometimes have to take a break from social media because some of the, the opinions that people have just are so illogical that it, it angers me and to the point that I stop, I've, the amount of times I write messages to people and then just delete them because I think, you know what, it's not worth it. And it, it, it affects me far more than it really should. I know, I know. And this is the thing. The thing that I, and I, I, I think it's, I think if right now you as a football fan are just thinking about your first 11, um, I, I, I find that so strange because... I'm delighted we have two left-footed centre-halves. Not so they can play together, but the reality is Arsenal play 60 matches a season. Gabriel Magalash. Uh, that's perfect. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, he's not playing 60 games. And if Arteta wants a left-footed centre-half on the left side of that defence for the way we build up play and ultimately to get us back, you know, we think it's because he wants us back playing uh, with four at the back, then you need two. I mean, it's just bizarre to think uh, to think any otherwise. And like I said, you know, it may be that Pablo Marie takes more minutes this season than, than Gabriel. Um, and I don't think that matters because it's a long-term plan. It's a squad game. And if Gabriel has, five, say, he has a run of five games at the start of the season and the Premier League's a bit quick for him, then in comes Pablo Marie. You know, simple. Um, but also, you've got to look at the Europa League, and you've got to think. I mean, I know uh, I'm not in the pro. You know, we don't need to talk about rivals too much. But Spurs are playing every three days, or maybe even two days, because they're non <laughs> pleasingly because they're nonsense Europa League uh, qualification process. That if they get through, you know, they're going to need a squad. They're not playing the same eleven every week, and nor will we once the season kicks off. Especially as this is going to be such a concertina season. Yeah. And obviously, one of our other arrivals has been William Saliba, and he's still 19 years of age. So for a centre-back, that's incredibly young. And to expect him to come straight in and and start every game is really, really unrealistic. I got a text from one of my, uh, one of my friends uh, who was organising their fantasy team, 
And he said to me, is Saliba going to play? And I said straight away, probably not, because he's only just come in. And I would have thought to start with, we'll, we'll play experienced players as opposed to just throwing him in at the deep end. So I think people need to sort of rein their hopes in a little bit with, with him particularly, but also with Gabriel because he's coming over from France. And people have such a lack of um, patience with, with players coming in from foreign leagues that sometimes you, you need to just appreciate that they need a bit of time to, to come in and to find their feet. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we'll get on to it. You know, I think the um, uh, I'm desperate to talk about Mr. Ceballos, but definitely when we talk more preview, I have to say I'm probably, and this is weird to say, but I'm probably more excited about next season than this. And that's a really odd thing to say, but I just think I look at how we're building and what needs to be done. And I don't think we're seeing Arteta's Arsenal for another year. And I think I'm on board with that, you know. Um but talking of talking of hashtag great content there, uh, Arteta's Arsenal. One of the linchpins post lockdown was Danny Ceballos, and how relieved were you when he he was confirmed to be coming back? Uh, very very relieved because as much as I think in the Community Shield that Mohamed El Nani played very well, um, he's not a player that I want Arsenal to be reliant on for much of the season. Uh, I don't mind having him as as uh, as a squad member, but you wouldn't want him to be your regular starting midfielder. Now, Danny Ceballos was absolutely integral to what Mikel Arteta was trying to do. So, in terms of the progression of this squad, I think it was absolutely vital that we got him back in or a player of of similar uh, ability. The problem that we would have had it had we gone for someone else is that Danny Sabias is already adjusted to the Premier League. He's had a season to get used to that. He knows how Arteta wants to play. So it's not like having a new signing coming in because it's someone who is familiar with what the club is trying to do. So I think it's absolutely vital that he that he was re-signed. Uh, I'm hopeful that maybe in his contract there might be something about a, a potential option to buy uh, further down the line. But to have him for another year is, is invaluable. Absolutely. And this is what I mean when I say I'm excited about next year, because we might be in a position where we've qualified and we've got more money in the bank or whatever, where we could purchase Ceballos. But I've been wanting to ask you, actually, uh, just on that note, because I agree with absolutely everything you're saying. Surely, though, that can't be it. We still desperately need a, another central midfielder, don't we? I, I think we it's would be ridiculous for us to go into the whole season without one more in my eyes because Torreira looks like he's going to be leaving. Guendouzi doesn't look like he's got a future at the club. So that leaves us essentially with Granit Xhaka, Danny Ceballos, um, who else? Joe Willock and Mohamed Elneny. And for a, to have just four central midfielders, bear in mind Joe Willock's not played there a lot at all. I'm. I would be very worried going into the campaign with that. So I, I, I suspect what will happen is we're waiting probably for to to get someone in before maybe we sanction the departure of of, of certain players because obviously we don't want to leave ourselves short at the end of the day. So I'm looking primarily at, at Lucas Torreira and think that maybe that's one that might be waiting until we we sort something out. Uh, I'm not convinced it'll be. Maybe necessarily a a big name or anything like that. I know we've been constantly linked with Thomas Partey and uh, who's the other one we linked with, Andre? Uar. Uar. Yeah, is it who's saying Uar? It is. Yes. Sorry, so um, I think he said that wrong there. Sorry, it, it it's pronounced Uar. I Uar. <laughs> yeah, who's saying Uar? <laughs> Um, yeah, he's actually from Ireland, not from uh, not from France. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not convinced we'll get one of those over the line. I think it, I, I, I think it could end up being maybe sort of a, a lesser name, but just someone maybe a, a young player that's quite exciting. But we'll see. Ideally, one of those would be where you'd want to get someone in because I think we need a bit of experience in there. Yeah, yeah. Let me pose this question to you. Uh, Matteo Guendouzi played for the captained the French under twenty one side yesterday. Uh, how long do we give it before 
And I know what Arteta said in the press about possibly, you know, he kind of you know, he's got to pay that kind of lip service. You know, my door's not closed to anyone. Da, 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 da. What do you? How long do you give it before Matteo Guendouzi is reconsidered, or or uh, you know he could be an option for us because it, it's I haven't really you know as rumor mills go I think we're really well informed now. There's been you know maybe PSG maybe in a swap deal, but there hasn't been anything concrete, and there's a huge possibility he stays at the club. There is. I, I've not heard anything beyond the the proposed swap deals, which I think those those suggestions have more been fans maybe putting two and two together, particularly with the Atletico link uh, with, with the Thomas Party deal, thinking, okay, well, he's the sort of player that Diego Simeone might like. I've not really seen anything else to support that. So, personally, I think we'll probably leave it as late as we can before we decide to integrate him. Uh, Mikel Arteta probably thinks he's got enough up until the international break to get by without having to use him. And then I think if he's still at the club at the end of the transfer window, that's probably when the decision will have to be made about how you move forward with him. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if he does stay because there just doesn't seem to be many potential suitors out there at the moment but there's still there's still a good good what month of the transfer window to go so a lot a lot can happen between now and then yeah be very interesting because we've got four games uh, between uh, now and the end of the transfer window and i don't think he or Urzil will be named in a squad there's my there's my early prediction um okay nice we'll we'll talking um I guess of, of we talked a little bit about possible incoming midfielders. What do you make of um, the whole Maitland-Niles-Bellerin uh, discussion, and, and where do you think we sort of fall on that? Oh, I still, I still think we're we're probably waiting for a a biggish departure to try and raise some funds for that much needed central midfielder. So I think I, I still wouldn't be surprised if one of them did go. Uh, now, what we saw, particularly, I think it was David Ornstein tweeted about Hector Bellerin and said that if a bid came in that was a, an appropriate value, Arsenal would, would consider letting Bellerin go. And the report also suggested that Hector Bellerin would be open to a move as well. So, personally, I, it's one that I'd be reluctant to, uh, to, to do because I think Bellerin's starting to look a bit more like his old self. However... I think as fans, we need to be a bit realistic that we are in, in dire need of an extra midfielder. And if we don't have the funds to do that now, then we need to find a way of doing that. And regrettably, that way is going to be by selling players. And the players that we want to sell probably don't make us the sort of money that we require in order to get that midfielder. I, th- I it, it, The fact that we want Thomas Party seems to be the worst kept secret in, in, in European football. So... If that is the one we want and Atletico are not budging on the fact that they won't accept anything except for the release clause, uh, which is reported to be 50 million euros, uh, then I think we need to do something to try and get there. I saw something the other day from someone that suggested that Arsenal are probably open to a majority of our players going, providing the price is right. I don't think we're in a position where any player, bar maybe the Aubameyangs of our squad, are have a, have a have a cross against them. I think most have a value that we would accept at a certain point. So that's probably my stance. Where where do you stand on it? I mean, it's because you can wrap loads into this. So you could you could have the debate about the goalies. You could have the debate about the right backs. You could have a debate about selling Lacazette. You are so right that, as you've said, the club have reported. And we discussed, first ever podcast we did, we discussed how I wouldn't care if any of them were sold. Then we win an FA Cup and suddenly we want to keep all of them and they're the greatest squad we've ever had. We finished (laughs) eighth. Um, We need to have a load of churn. I don't want to lose Hector Bellerin because, you know, and it is, is, as fans, we read way too much into this. He's an Arsenal man. He does feel like an Arsenal man. We have a connection with Hector Bellerin. We feel like we've watched him come through. It's the same with Maitland-Niles. It's why we don't care about Torreira going. It's why we don't care about Kalasnach going. But we would care, you know, so it's really hard. And we're going to lose someone that's going to hurt, I think. You know, it's why so many Arsenal fans are sort of 
and fawning over Martinez because suddenly this tale has emerged. But roll back six months. If you told me we're going to get 10 million for Emmy Martinez, I'd have just gone, great. You know, that's great money for a reserve goalie. But the problem with football is it's too emotional. And I think Arsenal are a bit too emotional as a club. And once we start making decisions not based on emotion, like keeping Ozil, Sanchez, Ramsey, unfortunately, we have to be ruthless because football is one of the most ruthless and painful sports going. So where I am with it is I don't want to lose Ainsley. I don't want to lose Hector. Um, there's loads of players in the squad I have no affinity to that I'm very happy to lose. But ultimately, I want to see the most successful Arsenal. We don't need, you know, I don't think there's too much difference between having Bellerin and Suarez or Maitland-Niles and Suarez as the backup and getting 30 million. We need a, we need a central midfielder to be competitive. And when we talk competitive, we aren't breaking into the top four this year. I mean, I don't think that's going to break. You know, I don't think people are going to go, wow, earth-shattering opinion. I can't see us ousting. And I'm going to moan about Chelsea when we do a bit of a season preview, just preempting. Um, we're not going to oust. We're certainly not going to overtake City and Liverpool over a season. And you look at Man U and Chelsea, that's going to be tough. Really tough. So we need to make some decisions that give us a chance you know, we need to get from eighth to sixth. Then next season, we jump from six to four. Um, and I don't think having a right back is going to make all the difference for us, whether it's Bellerin or Maitland-Niles. So, and again, the same with the goalkeeper. So it's, it's a very difficult one. Um, I just hope that we do enough to get, we really need to get rid of players. I've got one final question for you on all of this. Do you think a, there's a small chance of Bamiyang is only going to stay for a year. Would you give him three years? Would you take a 30 million offer? I mean, actually, let's ignore that last question. Do you think there's a chance it's one year and we're making decisions there? What do you, what do you reckon? Because it seems to be taking forever. If he is not going to sign a contract, I think the club have to decide that the value of having him for this year is higher than any potential transfer fee that we'll get for him, personally. And I, I, I just I don't see if if we were to sell him, I don't see how we get a player of his caliber that comes in and hits the ground running straight away. So the the whole question about whether whether we take a price from, like you say, we, you you kind of disregarded that. I, I don't think it's a it's a conversation worth having. Uh, if he's not going to sign a deal, then I think you just go, okay, well, you know what? We, well, we'll try and convince you for the next year. If you're not going to sign the deal based on where we're at towards the end of the season, then you're you're free to go, but you you have to be with us for this season because there's, there's no no way in a million years we can afford not to have him this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I actually don't know if it's the worst idea to have him see where we are in six months and go again. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, we we don't we don't what we don't want is a situation like with Ozil where we give out a massive contract and then that player starts to gradually demise and there's no indication that that is happening to Aubameyang at the moment um, but obviously as he gets older he's going to be more prone to picking up uh, knocks maybe that explosive pace that he's got is going to going to gradually dis, uh, disappear so it is a risk if we do that so I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite calm about that situation um, but I, I think I'd feel a lot calmer if we had maybe a year on top of this year I can confirm from your texts, you're not calm about the situation. Just, <laughs> just letting you know. <laughs> the, the, the perception I have of you is not one of calmness. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for anyone that wants clarification on that, I did text Andre the other day and said to him, what is going on with Over? And you texted me back and went, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I thought you'd seen something. I thought you'd seen something and I was like, oh no, what's happened? And then it was just, no, I'm getting worried. <laughs> Yeah, and then okay, you text me back and it was just like, no, I think you'll sign. I was like, okay, you've calmed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still think you'll sign. I still think you'll sign. I, I think you will as well, but um, until uh, until that announcement is made, unless Arsenal were just trying to come up with some other creative way of announcing things. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to get it. So he's mid-flip and he's got a pen above his head as he's flipping and that's how he signs the contract. I think they're yeah. looking for that kind of artistry. 
Yeah, and that takes a bit of practice because he needs to make sure his his signature is is accurate, and he needs to do it mid flight. So we'll we'll, well, we'll can, see. Hopefully, we'll get a video of that. That can be all it is. <laughs> um, the only other outgoings that we need to sort of sort of comment on is obviously Socrates. Looks like that will that will ha happen. That looks like it's a matter of time with him mm -hmm. going to Napoli, and. I, I think Kalasanac has been linked constantly with a return to Schalke and I think Roma to, to, to a point as well. So, again, I think that might be one that drags on a little bit, but I, I'd, I'd be fairly confident that that does happen at some point. And I'm also not that worried about, in terms of what we bring in financially for him, we did sign him on a free transfer. So I think it's more important with him to get him off the wage bill because he's on quite, quite large wages for a player who's not going to play that often. Yeah, yeah. I mean... The thing is, going back to the sort of debate about the right back, I mean, if you consider Ainsley as a backup left back or left wing back or whatever, um, then you don't have three right backs in stock. And if we get rid of Kalasnach, it possibly opens up the door to keep them all. Um, yeah, like, like we said, you know, I'm hoping Torreira, Socrates, Kalasnach, Guendouzi, you know, Ozil isn't going anywhere, so we don't even need to have that debate. Holding out on loan, Chambers over to Fulham, we've recouped some decent money and you never know. Um, but I'd like us to get our skates on. But in fairness, there's not a lot of activity, really, is there in the, in the sort of wider transfer market, unless you're, you know, you're Chelsea. <laughs> So I think that kind of covers everything we need to in terms of incomings and outgoings. What we're going to do now is do a, a, a brief preview on the, the first few matches of the uh, the upcoming Premier League campaign. Now, obviously, Arsenal kick off their Premier League campaign at 12.45 on Saturday um, with a game away at Fulham. Um, as confirmed in the last podcast, Andre changed his flights to ensure that he would be able to watch that game. Um, and that is obviously a decision which hopefully the result will mean was a good decision. Um, so how are you feeling about the upcoming campaign then, Andre? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, whenever you've won a cup, you go into the next season full of optimism. And to be honest with you, I'm absolutely no different. I think as starts go... I prefer being away from home. I don't, the thing is, all I'll say with all of this is without fans, every sort of opinion I've ever had completely changes because I don't know if that's true anymore. Fulham is a good, gentle, um, fan-wise, start to an away campaign. Probably is a bit different, actually, without fans. Um, I think it's always tough when it's a newly promoted club because they've got so much to prove. But I think they've been up more recently, actually, it's more favourable to us. Um, we need to come out of the blocks flying, and I really hope we will. I mean, pre-season results, other than the Community Shield, haven't been sparkling. Um, but I don't, I don't ever read too much into pre-season results, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I am so excited, to be honest. I'm so excited. I think the fact that Arteta gets another month without fans to be able to coach his team and be able to communicate with all his players and get those ideas across for a month sets us up brilliantly uh, for the remainder of the campaign. So initial sort of what I feel about Fulham, but also taking those first four games up until the first international break, which is uh, October 6th, where the window closes as well. Yeah, I, I think our, our first two games, obviously two London derbies, Fulham away and then West Ham at home, I think are two quite nice games to sort of ease us into the season. And looking at our first four games, so after West Ham, we play Liverpool away and then Sheffield United at home. I think if we've got realistic ambitions of breaking into that top four, I think we need at least nine points from those from those four opening games. Um, well, we we beat Liverpool uh, now for fun, Tom, so that's 12 points. Okay, so 12 points. <laughs> but if we, if we could get, if we could have nine points from those first four games, then I think that sets us up really, really well going back into the rest of the season. And gives us real optimism that we that we might be able to have a fight towards that. So that's kind of where I am in terms of those four games. In terms of Fulham, uh, I, 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 it's a difficult one because, like you say, a, a team coming up when they've 
signed a few extra players. I know he's kept largely the squad that got him there. Um, but I think that's a game we really, really have to go out and, and really hit the ground running. I think if we if we get a, a win opening day, then that, that kind of changes things. Having said that, last season we won our first two games and look, look how that season ended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you just take Fulham specifically, I, I don't know if you watched England yesterday, did you, by any chance? I did, I did. I hate watching England. I really, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I, uh, I just, I don't have, any, I don't feel any connection with England whatsoever. I really, really struggled to get into any games, and largely that is because I spend the entire season calling players like Harry Kane pricks, as I put on Twitter yesterday, <laughs> that I can't bring myself to then go and cheer them against Iceland. So I, I, I understand what you mean. Um, and, and I could almost have a, a, an hour debate with you about how hard that <laughs> that position is. But uh, more what I took from it is England are significantly better than Iceland. Um, I, I was actually yes. uh, Iceland in 2016, quite good fun, and actually crossed the halfway line. My concern is I was looking at how tired England got and how hard it was for them. And I think you have to look at that and go, well, they're Premier League players and... It's highly likely the start of the season could see a lot of draws because teams just aren't at it because it's been the strangest break because, because, because. So I am a little bit concerned, not so much that, you know, because when you say hit the ground running, I think that's to be really hard for nearly every team because it's just such an odd pre-season. Um, yeah. Anyway, we get the points in those, you know, particularly the first two home games for me, West Ham and Sheffield United. Uh, is crucial. You know, if you replace Fulham with uh, a side that went down, well, I don't think we won at any of the sides that went down this season. Um, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't know. It's all starting to blur into one. Um, <laughs> and last season was so disappointing. I didn't feel like we won a single game. Uh, I actually think that might be true, though, because we drew one all at Bournemouth, two all at Norwich. Who on earth else went down? Wow, it happens fast, doesn't it? I can't even remember. Who went down, Tom? I can't remember. <laughs> Who did go down? Well, this is electric for podcasting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Research at its finest. Whoever it was, we probably didn't beat them. I'm going to have to look. I'm going to have to look. If you hear typing, I, I apologise. Uh, who was it? Because it's frustrating because invariably one of us would have probably been there. <laughs> yeah. So who I was it? Be- I can't believe this. Right. Who do you think it was? Go on, quick. I, I, I can't. I can't even. What family guess in a minute? What? Of course it was. We were both there. We were both there. <laughs> That's terrible. That was the birth of the Daddy Sabios song as well. Um, oh, what? Yeah, what a fantastic chant to mask. What a dreadful, dreadful day. <laughs> we were. We were excellent until we were the worst. Um, okay. So. So. My goodness. There you go. We didn't win a single... We drew every game away to promoted sides, which is just... Uh, sorry, relegated sides, which is just terrible. And to beat Fulham would be a, an improvement straight away. We beat West Ham last season. I always like to do season comparisons. You know, we'll lose at Anfield. Um, oh, we won't. You know, we could... I actually believe we could steal a draw, you know, or at least I think we won't get turned over by five. So that's a nice feeling. I, I think. I think what concerns me going into the new season particularly if you look at these four games on paper on paper we should beat Fulham West Ham and Sheffield United but as we saw last year the problem we have isn't so much under Arteta against the bigger teams because he seems to have found a way of making us competitive in those games it's far more against the smaller teams that have that low defensive block that we really really struggle to break down and I think any team any of those three teams should be looking at Arsenal and thinking, okay, well, what did Arsenal struggle with that last season? And that is what we really, really, really struggled with. So I that's what makes me nervous, but mm-hmm. also quite excited because I'm sure Mikel Arteta is aware of that and it's about him finding a solution. And I've got full faith in him finding that solution eventually. Yeah. Uh, it just ideally we need it to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Look, I think Sheffield United will come unstuck this season. I think we started to see that post-lockdown. Um, I, I feel confident they're not going to have the season 
they they had certainly. I mean, I think they'll stay up comfortably. I think I think they you know I still think they'll win a few games, but I don't think they'll be quite you know on the cusp of Europe in the way they were certainly. So I'm feeling quite confident about that. West Ham, I feel like it's a good time to play them. You know, if your captain's slagging off your owners on social media, um, that to me says good time to play them. Um, yeah. Fulham, unknown quantity. And look, with Liverpool, anything's a bonus. Um, so uh, all in all, if we can get nine points, I think we'll get seven. I don't know where we'll drop our point, but I can't see us winning those three just because... We're Arsenal and I've grown to come to expect some disappointment somewhere. So I think as well, with so much up in the air, so many squads won't be confirmed. It's why I was always an advocate of the transfer window ending before the start of the season. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, because, for example, you know, will Meza Ozil play? Will Smith-Rowe play if he's going to go out on loan, for example? Um very tough, very tough. So I think there could be some strange results, and we just got to hope we're on. We're not. We're not part of them. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you're absolutely right with that. So, talking of the Sheffield United game, obviously there's been a lot going on. How do you how do you feel about a, a, a stadium full of fifteen thousand Arsenal fans, one in six league games as a season ticket holder? So how does it how does it all make you feel? Um, it makes me feel really upset, actually, uh, because as a season ticket holder, I re- I struggled enough when no fans were allowed in. I really struggled with that because I because obviously as a season ticket holder, you expect to be at the home games at, at the very least. Uh, but I think knowing that fans are back in the ground and knowing that on some occasions there's going to be fans there, yet I'm not going to be one of them through no fault of my own. Uh, I, I, I struggle with that and I, I think it's going to be really, really hard. Even Obviously, I will watch those games on TV still, but it's going to be really, really hard to watch those games with that in the back of my mind. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about the whole the whole situation. I think the way Arsenal have done it, I whatever way they did it, I think there was always going to be people that were going to be upset. I've seen some things that people are upset that they haven't considered red and silver members in any regard, which I think is a farcical argument because I we've waited on the season ticket waiting list for 10 years probably to get the privilege of getting first rights to have tickets at the Emirates. And unfortunately, it is sad that Silver and Red members aren't going to get an opportunity. But at the same time, I don't think they should be considered until every single season ticket holder is, is back in the ground. Uh, so that's kind of my stance on that. But as I said, I think the overriding emotion that I'm feeling is, is, is just sadness. And I'm yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a difficult period supporting Arsenal because of that. I couldn't agree more. I'm actually, um, you know, you and I go to, I don't know, 80% of away games, certainly between us anyway. Um, that's yeah. hard enough to adjust to, to that not being an option. To, to not go to a, a home game that could be Saturday at three o'clock uh, is very hard to take, actually. And I know a lot of people out there Season to gold to be struggling with it. I'm struggling to, to get my head round what that will be like because it's a way of life as well. You know, one in six league games, sorry, uh, six league games over a season to me sounds pitiful. I would bemoan fans that went that little. I would say you don't really care if you went to only six. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so I'm. I'm hopeful on the ticket exchange. I couldn't agree more with you. I, I understand why people have paid out. You know, I don't know what silver membership do you pay now? Fifty quid for the year? Uh, yes, yeah, it's forty nine quid for a renewal. So I, I've I've also got two silver memberships myself, and I it, it's frustrating that those have been. I've renewed those two silver memberships, and those are basically useless memberships for the year, with the exception of. In uh, getting a bit of online content and getting you ten um, percent discount on the shop, so it, it, it's it's frustrating that they the club have charged for that, and I think they should have done something for red and silver members um, so that they didn't have to renew uh, for, for for that price at least. But obviously, there's no there's no way you can give access to tickets for for those groups um, at this current moment. And I think the way Arsenal have done it is probably the fairest way they can do it. Um, yeah. for a long t- for a long time, I feared what would happen is that they would go by the away scheme and they'd go by away credits, 
which is, is, it's fair enough to an extent, but as season ticket holders, you don't pay for the right to go to away games. You pay for the right to go to home games. Yeah. So that's where I, I, I think that would have been a harsh thing to do if you said, okay, well, everyone who's got 60 away credits, you're guaranteed a ticket because that isn't what you do as a season ticket holder. Yeah, you're completely right. You're completely right. Just to say, though, on the memberships is that, you know, I think people are, and, and maybe this is just my opinion, I, I do feel slightly differently about it, because the hope and the aim and, dare I say, the expectation around the globe is that there will be full stadia before the end of the season. You know, I I don't think we need to hold political or whatever debate about the virus or what have you, but if you're paying 50 quid, uh, as a silver member, and I don't count you in this, you've got season ticket, it is slightly different and maybe I'd feel differently, but you are paying for the right to access tickets as soon as they are available. And yes, I know it's frustrating for a part you're not considered, but if you're in by Christmas, then I don't think people complain. Also, it's one of these things that actually, um, because Arsenal is run as a company from an accounting perspective, deferring income like that is actually hugely problematic with cash flow, uh, <laughs> without going too boring and down a finance route. Uh, but that's more what it's to do with. And actually, if they use it as a credit for the following season, that helps the club more in terms of cash flow, uh, as opposed to giving a refund or anything like that. So uh, they probably, in hindsight, might not have done that, but it does make quite a lot of sense. Um, and also, you know, just going back to your point about season tickets, you know, I pay 14 1300 or 1400 a year depending on Europa or Champions League you know and I've paid that for however many seasons now and there are people who have paid it for a hell of a lot more seasons than I have uh, and they should get first priority I mean it's kind of the point um but yeah it's, it's, it's just like you said I, I think I think Arsenal done it really well as we've said and I commend them for that and I, I don't know if you heard the um uh cast with uh Tim Payton from the AST, and they explained it really well. It is complicated. You've got to get your head around it, and it's the bubble, and, and, and the ticket exchange isn't quite the way it was, but it's the best way you can do it. And yet again, we go first. Arsenal have been at the forefront of major decisions, and I'm proud of us for sticking our neck out um, and trying to come up with something that's completely fair. So I'm really pleased our club's made that step, but it's it's going to be... Really, really tough. Uh, what I will say as well, obviously, you just touched on the uh, the Arsenal Supporters Trust, and they have been absolutely fantastic at communicating with supporters anything that they know. And uh, e even if you're you're not a member, the the representatives on Twitter have been phenomenal at allowing people to get in touch with them to ask questions about this whole ticketing process. So I just wanted to sort of give them a shout out because they 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 have been genuinely really really impressive. Okay, so moving on to our final section now that we've covered all that, uh, we are going to look at some goals from years gone by. Now, each episode, what we do is we pick an Arsenal shirt from the last 30 years and we each select three goals that we instantly think of when we see that shirt. The shirt that we're looking at today is the 2004-2005 home shirt, which obviously red and white, and it was the last red and white shirt that we had uh, whilst we were at Highbury. So I think I'm going to go first today. And I'm going to talk about Thierry Henry's first goal against Chelsea um, in 2004. Now, it's one of my favourite goals of all time. And it's regrettably not a game I was actually at. But it was a game that I, I remember I played football in the morning. And I came home in the winter, absolutely soaked, freezing. And just as I walked through the door, Arsenal just got one, gone 1-0 up. And then, obviously, they showed the replays of it. And I was like, wow. That's just an incredible goal. And it's one of those things that Thierry did so often where he makes a ridiculously complicated goal look so simple. It's a long ball from Cesc Fabregas up to the head of Omri. Omri heads it down and then Reyes then heads it back into him. And Omri takes the most majestic first touch on his right foot before volleying, volleying the ball into the far corner of Petr Cech's net. And it's just 
an explosion of noise at Highbury. And you could just see all the limbs behind the goal in the clock ends. And it, I, it, it's just one of those moments that, that always stands out when I think of Thierry Henry. And that goal, I, 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 it actually showed up the other day, his, his post-match interview, where he got accused by Jose Mourinho the year before of only winning the Golden Boot because he was scoring against the small teams. And Omri came out and said, uh, oh, well, apparently I only score against the small teams, so Chelsea must be a small team. <laughs> and I love, I love that. And it just adds to the, uh, to the atmosphere and the emotion of that goal. Yeah, I mean, it was beautiful. It was absolutely stunning. And at a time where, let's face it, little did we didn't know then what we knew now and the pain that was going to be inflicted in the future. But it felt like us gripping on to that superiority. I know they won the league that year. I just brushed that under the carpet. Um, stunning goal. I mean, like you said, that was so early in the game as well. It just spoke to what a total footballer he was. But also, Petr Cech was fairly unbeatable that season, as was their back four, completely impenetrable. But we were just absolutely... Uh, at it from minute one. And like you said, goals like that, one touch, volley, goal, brilliant. I mean, it's up there with his goal against Manchester United for me in the 98-99 the, uh, season. Uh, no, 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 no. 99-2000, everyone knows the one, lobs it over Bartes. Just that touch, volley, goal, pure Thierry. Um, great pick, love that goal. Yeah, I love his celebration as well because he runs right past the Chelsea bench and looks thoroughly pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's what that's what that when Omri had the hump and then did something like that, he was always a sight to behold. <laughs> he was what a man, what a man, um, beautiful. Okay, would you would you like to tell us about your your first goal? Yeah, yeah, I do, and, and it's from that ridiculous. North London derby that season. So, so Arsenal had a curse of November. I don't know if you remember the November curse. It's changed now. It's a whole season curse. But we had a November <laughs> curse <laughs> where we couldn't win a game. And then we had the North London derby. And you thought they were, you know, they were a bad team. Um, and we sort of, by right, had to go there and win. Uh, we'd really gone off a cliff since the uh, ending of the unbeaten run. Um, and this game fell in the middle of it. It was actually the only game we won in November that season. Um, and it's the Robert Pires goal in that game. Uh, he had a, a penchant for scoring in the North London derby. But for me, this was just class. So he receives the ball. And I think, I don't know what the kids call it. It sort of TikToks it. Uh, there you go. There's a nice social media reference for you but the way he goes past his man left foot right foot under Robinson it's just class it's just you can't even imagine the skill the poise the composure the coolness pure Robert Perez um, and it's the way finger wags runs behind the goal what a goal um, and, and the fact we thankfully won that game because it was in the balance um, but, but that was pure Robert Perez, and I think it's one of his best ever goals. It really is. And what made his celebration even better is just as he's running past behind the goal, a, uh, a program is thrown at him and flies past his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, magic. And they hated him. They hated him. And they at that end is a horrible end for anyone not being to White Hart Lane. That's real, you know, scum. Real scum behind that goal, pure scum. And the fact he did it there was just even better. Yeah, really, <laughs> a, a stand full of scum, I think, is the, <laughs> the best way you can describe that. And you, you did describe it very eloquently. Uh, now, my second goal is from the same game. And it's also scored at that end, uh, which is full of scum. And it is Patrick Vieira. Uh, who stormed through their entire midfield and defence and then just swept one into the top corner past Paul Robinson. And what I love about the goal is probably more the celebration because Vieira straight away, as every goal we scored at that end, runs straight over to the Arsenal fans. And you can just see how pumped up he and everyone within the team is. I think that goal put us 3-1 up in that game. And I mean, at the time you felt like, okay, that's the goal that probably clinches it. 
little did we know that the game was going to descend into absolute chaos. But the celebrations, and I, I, I remember watching the celebrations and Omri's just completely trying to intimidate the Tottenham fans whilst he's celebrating. <laughs> and I just love everything about it. But Patrick Vieira had this way, like Robert Perez, of just always showing up against Tottenham. And particularly at White Hot Lane, he had a he had a habit of uh, of picking up really really crucial goals, and that one was a really really important one, uh, and just showed the 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 power of Patrick Vieira. Mm. He didn't score often, uh, Vieira, not as often as we'd like, but when he did, there was something really special about it. Um, and as you said, so often came uh, you know in a big game. We started this pod with that wonderful commentary and that that evocative. Vieira moment, and, and this was absolutely another one for sure. Definitely, definitely. Okay, would you like to tell us about your number two? Oh, complete, yeah, goal two, complete change of pace uh, from the uh, fervour of the North London derby. Uh, and it's Thierry Henry versus Charlton, so in, in a 4 0 win. Not a particularly um, memorable game as such. I think, uh, you know, there's. We, We've often talked about the fact the Invincibles rarely swept teams aside in reality, but we swept Charlton aside that day. Um, the ball's played into him from Reyes. He's on the edge of the six-yard box. He's got a defender on his back and he puts his right leg, sort of he back heels it uh, across his left leg, if you can imagine the motion, through the defender's legs and into the bottom corner. And it was just how... Thierry Henry, that was. It was when he was, for me, at the peak of his powers, you know, that sort of three-year spell across 02 to, to, to 05. And this, for me, was just absolutely gorgeous. I think it was a goal that you tried to recreate in your playground uh, or on the pitch. Um, I, I remember I learned, I spent hours learning how to do that, sort of the, the, the back heel with any sort of accuracy, because he did that. You know, he gave you moments like that that you could try and learn. A bit like the, the, the Man U goal I was talking about. But, you know, not a particularly memorable opponent or game. But it was just what class in front of the North Bank. And it was one of those where when it goes in, it wasn't a cheer. It was sort of that, oh, and sort of you could tell people were sort of laughing towards the end. And just pure applause because uh, he, de- he deserved that sort of uh, the accolades he got with that goal. It was just, it was just brilliant. Class. Yeah, I, I I was in the North Bank for that for that game as well, so I, it was right in front of me, and it was one of those ones that, like you say, everyone just sort of looked at each other, just like, did he actually just do that? And it was one of those really really surreal moments because everyone was obviously celebrating still, but there was this uh, disbelief as to how he's actually scored, and it wasn't until it was it was one of those goals that when they showed it on the big screen, everyone just sort of gasped as they saw uh... the replay of it. And it was just like, wow, he did do that. And then they showed the replay again and everyone gasped again. And it was just one of those moments where I, I, it was a pleasure to be there, but it was it was really, really surreal. But in, incredible uh, goal by Thierry. Yeah. Okay. Tom, goal three. So goal three. My num- uh, number three is Dennis Bergkamp at home to Everton in the final home game of the 04-05 season. Now, this was a game that Arsenal won 7-0 and really, really sort of turned on the style. And it was a game that Dennis Bergkamp ran from start to finish. Everything he touched was absolutely majestic. Some of the passes that he produced, particularly the the assist for Vieira's goal to make it 3-0 just before half-time. The pass was just absolute precision. And the whole game, everyone was singing Bergkamp's name because it was, still wasn't clear whether he was going to stay for another year or not. And the whole the whole game, everyone was singing one more year, one more year and singing his name. And it wasn't until the sixth goal that he finally got in on the act. And having produced a, a game of absolute perfection, it was actually an imperfect first touch from Bergkamp on his thigh as the ball sort of went up into the air. He controlled it onto his thigh and and the, the touch took him away from goal. But he just had the awareness and presence of mind to be able to know where the goal is and roll it into the net from his left foot. And despite it being the sixth goal, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. Everyone went absolutely berserk because that was the goal that everyone was waiting for. Mm. And if the chance for one more year and there's only one Dennis uh, walking in a Bergkamp Wonderland weren't loud enough before then, 
um, they went up a, a decibel after that. So it was a really, really phenomenal atmosphere to be in and just a privilege to see Dennis Bergkamp at his absolute best that night. He was absolutely tremendous. Mm, I recall a sort of handing over, though, uh, of the torch, it felt like in that game to, to RVP as well. I, I know what you're saying, but I just remember at the time being so excited about the future uh, as well, because it felt like that. And we were yeah, incredible that day. Mm. Yeah, and the opening goal was Bergkamp passing the ball through to Robin Van Persie to put Arsenal, put Arsenal ahead. So I think that, w- that was a really symbolic moment. And that, that was the passing over the torch, like you say. Uh, but Bergkamp certainly showed that night that he wasn't quite finished yet. He wasn't. He wasn't. No, magnificent. Magnificent. Okay, Andre, tell us about your third and final goal. Well, we've got to cap this uh, Vieira heavy uh, pod with... There's only one goal for me, really, that came up, but we saved it to the end because it was the last kick of the season, and that was Patrick Vieira in the middle of the goal against Roy Carroll for us to win the FA Cup in extra time uh, after... Sorry, on penalties after extra time against Manchester United in a game that... Uh, proved we had uh, the defensive stability because we were dreadful. We were dreadful. I never know. Still to this day, it's one of those games. How did we win that? But the fact we did against Fergie, the fact uh, I remember, it would be called a meme now, but in 2005, there weren't memes. But a picture went round. I think um, Liverpool won the Champions League. Uh, so it was Liverpool, Liverpool's crest on the Champions League. Chelsea on the Premier League, Arsenal in the FA Cup, and then it was a mug with Manchester United's badge on it. Um, and it made me laugh every time because I, it was, you know, we hated Manchester United. They'd broken our unbeaten run. Um, that Dutch horse up front uh, missed everything. Uh, was it Freddie off the line as well? Freddie off the line onto the crossbar, yeah. Oh, the tension. It was just wrought with tension. It was so horrible. Um I think it's my first, and I, I might be wrong, maybe you can correct me, my first sort of experience of a penalty shootout for Arsenal that meant something. No, Galatasaray, I take it back. Yeah, Gal- Galatasaray. That we won, there you go. Um, but it was the captain scoring that goal, signing off, not that we knew it then, um, for us to win the FA Cup was just absolutely brilliant. Five great penalties, Paul Scholes, what a joy that Paul Scholes, that useless, overrated ginger prick, missed his, which is absolutely stunning. And our world-class, glorious French beauty of a midfielder swept home as captain, last kick. What a day. What a day that was. It was wonderful. Um, Tom, I have to ask you, I wasn't, but were you there? I was there and the tension was unbearable uh, within the stadium. And I remember as we went to the shootout, my dad turned to me and said, prepare yourself for, for us to lose. Because at that point, I was not very good at dealing with those sorts of emotions. <laughs> and some would say I'm still not very good at dealing with those sorts of emotions. Uh, I would say my that, dad, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my dad uh, was acutely aware that had that not gone that way, I would have uh, had a, a complete meltdown. Um, so he prepared me for that. And then it was just the most wonderful moment to be there with my dad and uh, to celebrate that together. And I remember when we were walking out of the ground after all the celebrations, we were walking down the stairs inside the stadium. My dad just started belting out the Vieira song and everyone joined in. And at that point, I looked at my dad and thought, he's the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. But yeah, uh, a, a, really, a really awful, awful game, but mm. one of my fondest memories of being at a football ground. Absolutely. And, and again, was so sure, even when it went to penalties, we'd lose. You know, and I think that was the the um, that's why it felt so special. That was that was what's so special about it. Is to this day, when you watch that back, you're sure we'll concede, but we don't. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Okay, so on that note, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Andre, for your time. Yes, you also here's to an amazing season. 
Yes, here's to an amazing season. And if you would like to contact us or, or see what we're up to on social media, we have an Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook page that you can find us by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. We also have a website, www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So please do go and check out all of those. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you again to Mr. Andre Grayson. And we will be back with another podcast very soon.